Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. For Saturday, August 27th, I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest. He's a repeat guest. He's none other than Mr. George Ross. On today's show, we're talking about how to handle difficult people in the context of negotiation. George is a master in negotiation, having taught a course on negotiation in the law school at NYU for over 20 years. Listen to this specific case study on negotiation. Well, welcome, George. Great to have you here again. Thank you. Good to be here. George has been, my goodness, I, I don't know where to start. Um, <laughs> we, could, we, we don't want to use the whole call talking about everything that George has done, but uh, in business for, my goodness, 70 plus years, married for close to that long as well, taught at the law school at NYU for over 20 years, worked for Goldman and DiLorenzo for more than a decade. Uh, worked for Mr. Trump for 47 years, and built a major law practice in New York City, and we're just thrilled to have you here again. Thank you. I'm good to be, glad to be here. George, let's start with something straight out of one of the books that you wrote, Trump's Style Negotiation, which, if I remember, was based on the course syllabus from the lectures you gave at the law school at NYU and the course in negotiation that you taught. And there was one particular part in the book where you were talking about a case study, and I think at the time you were representing Saul Goldman, and you were in negotiation with Bill Zeckendorf, and he was trying to bully you. And you described an almost Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde reversal of behavior, bullying and intimidating in one minute, and then sweet as honey in the next. Apart from being a little distasteful, maybe manipulative, you describe a method for dealing with that kind of a bully. And if the steamroller doesn't work, then they need to switch to a plan B, which might be to be nice to you. But the real question is, how do you stop the steamroller cold in their tracks? How do you stop the bully? Well, you can't. You, you, when you say stop a steamroller in the, in the tracks, that's hard to do. But okay. let's go. You got to understand where where we're came, coming from. At the time we were negotiating, Bill Zeckendorf was real estate in New York. He had a huge company called Web and Nap, which was a public company. And he was like the guru of real estate. Anything that he did, he did, uh, Bill Zeckendorf touched was got turned to gold and he was trustworthy and everything. That was the reputation that he had. And the particular uh, case that we're talking about is I found out that he lied to my client, Scoban de Lorena, Saul Goldman, on a very important matter. The important matter was that he was, we, we had bought a piece of property, a lease from him, with the understanding he could get the consent of the holder of the, 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 the holder of the mortgage. And he said he could, and it was there's a lot of money involved. And the truth of the matter was he couldn't and never could, but he hid it. And I found out that he, they already told him they were never going to give it and they were going to sue as a result of what he had done. So now when my client was in there for several million dollars and find out that effectively we're dealing with somebody that's totally untrustworthy, not necessarily a thief, but pretty close to it. So that was, what do you do now? So you have to take a firm stand against somebody who's got got a huge reputation. So in order to get his attention, had to do something very drastic and basically tell him what we were doing. Uh, or what we were going to do if he didn't resolve the matter. So it had been involved at the time that he was supposed to come up and return uh, almost $5 million, which in the 60s was a, a big a big amount of money. And he said he didn't have it. Now what do you do? 
You know, he said, I'd like to repay you. I know it, but I don't have it. So he had to do something drastic at this point to get his attention. So what I said was, if you don't make some arrangement today as to what you are going to do, watch the newspaper tomorrow and you'll find out that Webb and Knapp has been indicted in a conspiracy to defraud a client and withholding information that they knew to be harmful intentionally. So you're out of, yeah, you look at the paper tomorrow, you'll be out of business if you don't straighten it out. That was the approach. And we're ready to do it? Yes. Well, now you're dealing with someone who's the head of a major organization. It's a public company. And he's made all kinds of statements and representations. And he's got a reputation as, as long as, as my arm, supposedly. And now at this, you find out that he's, uh, he, he's taking attack where he's totally unscrupulous. So how do you get his attention? So I got his attention, told him, if you don't straighten it out, you're out of business. And at this, I remember the, his statement that he looked at me and looked at Saul Goldman. And he says, I've, I've, reached, I've reached, I've met my master in real estate. That's what he acknowledged. So I said, all right, now what are you going to do? We worked out, well, something ultimately did get it resolved. But there was a total change in the atmosphere and certainly in the approach because he now, from being strong, and where even though he was in the wrong, but with his reputation, now all of a sudden we were going to destroy his entire reputation in one shot. So he had to recognize that if he doesn't do something, or at least believe if he doesn't do something that's intelligent, he, we're going to put him out of business. And I remember my client, Saul Goldman, said to him, look, Bill, I'm in there for almost $5 million, but I don't want to lose $5 million, but I can lose $5 million. You have your whole company behind you, which is in the neighborhood of somewhere about $500 million and all kinds of employees, everything. You're out of business. You're not going to do it to anybody else. And that was the threat, and it's, he was going to do it, and that ultimately carried the day. We resolved it, figured out a way to solve it. Very interesting. So what was it? I mean, if he had responded with, go ahead, make my day. No, no, no. If, it's not if. You don't, don't speculate. In other okay. words, I don't know what would have happened. What, you know, I know what did happen. Sure, sure. In other words, we did make a deal. As difficult as it could be, we did figure out a way to make a deal. We, at the time, we had like two months in order to figure something out before the, uh, the whole property had a problem because of the, the uh, owner of the property or the, the major lease was going to call, call, call everything in default. But it had something drastic. Yes, yeah, so we took an option on another building, uh, the Chrysler building, a whole bunch of things that, that ultimately got, re, got resolved. But the, I think the lesson to be learned from that particular case study is you have a stronger position than you think you have if you can understand the weaknesses of the other side. They all have weaknesses. There's something that they want to do that's meaningful. Maybe it's reputation. Maybe it's dollars. Maybe it's, it's publicity. Who knows? But there's somewhere there's a soft spot. And if you react to that soft spot, they will, they, if you attack it, in a nice manner, they will react to it because it is, but you have to find it first. But it's always there. There's always some way of communicating with the other side that you're negotiating with. Once you find that out, you're going to have a much easier negotiation, not necessarily successful, but at least you're going to be on, a, a, you're going to understand one another and you'll talk with a view towards making a, a, a deal or making a situation go away. Well, and at least you've recovered your negotiating leverage. Yes. Yes, I, I, I recovered it. I exercised it. Yes. You know, my negotiating leverage at the time was to say, look, I, I, I can put you out of business. That's, 
that's not negotiated leverage. That's a fact. That's that it would have meant my client lost five million dollars, but the other side has is now out of business or has lost his reputation and would be totally devastated as a result of it. Now, also, you have to understand the personality. The personality at that time, Zeckendorf was the number one real estate person, huge reputation, and a lot of it was proper was was well well earned, and he was the the fact that he was the uh, willing to lie or do things uh, that are certainly inappropriate was not generally known. And all of a sudden, now you come on. So somebody is it's Lily White and the, the, the fair name in the industry, uh, this, and all of a sudden you're going to destroy him. That's, that was the negotiating position at that time. Very interesting. So and the reason I was going with the what if question is because we've encountered situations actually rather similar, except the difference is um, in this particular case, the one I'm thinking of, the other side is doesn't seem to be that hung up on protecting their reputation and their f- seem they to may be, not fun- be the reputation, then that's not the weak spot. Got it. Okay. So some of those are weak spot. Because the weak spot, if, they, if they're borrowing money from a bank and you destroy their, their reputation with the bank, that's the weak spot. Somewhere they get their money. Where do they get their money? They're part of the company. Where do they get it? What what makes that company go? There's something there that you find out that is, if in fact it, it were attacked, would be devastating. I don't know what it is, but it depends on the situation at the time and what the company is. Now, if a company doesn't care about its reputation, attacking their reputation is not going to be helpful. All right. But if they do care about how they get their money and banks that they're dealing with, if you attack that, that yeah, they are interested. If you're a public company and you're on a stock exchange or something, and now all of a sudden you're going to come out with a big blurb that's going to, dis- to destroy their uh, reputation or change the stock from $30 a share to $10 a share because you're claiming something horrendous, that, if that's important to them, that's the route to take. But somewhere there is a weak spot. Fascinating. One of the things that I've learned in um, this is conventional sales training. Um, you know, Miller Hyman teaches this that in any negotiation, there's three different roles. There's the decision maker. There's a technical role where they're maybe empowered to say no. They, the analysts, the folks that check the boxes, and then there's a third role which is even more important than the almost the, the other two, and that they call the coach. And this is where the back channel communication happens where you find out a little bit behind the scenes what's happening on the other side. And I found that to be helpful in a sales context. No, it's, it's, it's true. It's not only helpful in the sales context, it's helpful in any negotiation. In other words, if I said, if, if we were talking about, so, so a, let's say a piece of property, and uh, you're looking to sell it and I'm looking to buy it, right? And I said, okay, you want to sell it for 3 million and I'm ready to buy it for the 3 million. Can you guarantee, can we sign a contract? Do you have the authority to sign a contract? Now, I'd like to hear your answer. If it's anything but yes, then I got to get to somebody else. Somebody else has the authority. Now, so somebody else, hey, hey, wait a minute, just point. If you don't have the authority at that point, I'm not going to pay $3 million. So I'll give you an offer at that point of $2.5 million. And who do you have to talk to anybody else? Because that's as far as I'll go unless I'm dealing with the the person in authority. If we go back to your Bill Zeckendorf example, how did you uncover that weak spot? Was it was there a back channel? No, not he was the boss. Well, I understand he was the it decision wasn't the maker. Back channel. But the end things when it came in, how did I discover it? The, the, I first approached the situation with his CFO, his financial officer, and told him, "Here's what I found out. 
I got to have the money back. You owe me $4 million, get ready to pay it, or else there's going to be a problem. And he says, well, don't worry about it. Zeckendorf will straighten it out. I said, no, don't give me that. Do you have the authority to tell me when I'm going to get my money now and put it in writing? And he says, no. I says, good, get me. Who does? Only Mr. Zeckendorf himself. Okay. Then I set up a meeting with Bill Zeckendorf. And I wouldn't be sidetracked by any of his uh, affiliates or any of his, his, his lower, lower echelon. I want to talk with the boss. Now, the, the opposite or the contrary is something that I use. I would never let the other side talk to Trump directly. Okay? Never. Unless it was the head of the other side talking to Trump as the head of Trump. So if, it, if it was anybody but the top man at this, anybody but the top, Trump never spoke to him. No matter what they said, their authorities told them, whatever it is, or the, what they had, yeah, I'm the boss, I can make the decision, I can write up all this. Unless they're dealing with the top man, it never did. Now, Trump recognized it because he would only deal with the top man. So he's not dealing with the CEO, the chief executive officer of a major company. They can talk together, they can say whatever they want. Then what do they do? When they strike a deal, they put it down, they send it down to the troops in the field. Here I am for Trump. Who's on the other side for Ford or whoever else involved? And then we fight it out. All right. But we do the dirty work and put get, make put the deals together. But the deal has been struck by the two chief executives. And they don't hear anything more unless there is some, some impasse that comes up that has to be that requires a, an executive decision. I love it. This is this is fantastic. This is there's gold in, in this story. And I'm thinking that as we go forward on future calls, we'll probably want to take some additional case studies. Out of your book, out of your great. course. Yeah. No, I think they're great. And if, 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 you, if you have a lot of people in, in the meeting that are not on your side, you have to get to the, who's the decision maker? Who has the authority? What's the nature of your authority? I know the nature of my authority. And I'll, not only that, the nature of my I may lie about my authority. I might say, I have the absolute authority to make a deal and, and to get it signed up right away. Do you have that authority? I want to hear the answer. Now, I may not have that authority myself. So I can always back out of it and say, yeah, but this deal is so complex. I got to go to so got to go the, the higher up. I have to go to Trump or whatever it is. So, so I, but I made the statement that yes, I have. You took, let see if they believe it. And the only way that they could prove they believe it is say, let's go and do the contract right now in front of us. Now, definitely, want, now they're calling out my bluff. Right? But it's very rare that they're going to say that unless they have the authority to do it. They don't, no, I may take up their statement. Because it's not a bluff. No, I may say, okay, let's go. Draw the papers. Let's let's fine. Let's do it right now. And let's see if they back out or they don't. No, we're testing each other's authority, the level of authority that we have. Fantastic. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And it's important in any any negotiation, really. Everybody there's this everybody's got to somewhere there's a decision maker. You have to get to the decision maker. And that's the one that you're going to focus on. And if you're in a meeting. And you raise a question. And if you see whoever you're raising a question to turns his or her head to somebody else that's in the meeting, that's the boss. All right. That's the boss. What do you to say? What do you think? Or they're trying to get the boss's reaction. And you're more interested in seeing what the reaction is. I'm more interested in seeing who they're, who they're talking to, because I want to deal with this, with the, with the, with the one that has the ultimate authority, not the, the, the lower level who says, who does or says what they think the boss would like them to say. Okay, there's, there's pearls of wisdom in what we have just talked about. Absolutely, absolutely. We're dealing a whole uh, a whole uh, topic of a technique of negotiation to be successful. Wow, I love my conversations with George. He has 
such an extraordinary depth of experience, having gone through hundreds and hundreds of these negotiations in rapid succession with the same clients. He did this for years, long before he became known and started working for the Trump family. He truly became masterful through practice and repetition. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.